Welcome to In The Know, the way we will connect you with the good work that is happening in the field of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. This conversation will be kid-friendly and car ride safe. I am Tony Cross, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and today I want to start at the foundation of this work, which is understanding the language of DEIB. Director of Diversity and Community. Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Director of Admissions and Diversity Coordinator. Director of Identity, Culture, and Institutional Equity. There have been many moments where I've shortened my title because it's a mouthful. (laughs) Director of Diversity, Equity, and Student Life. The last bit is recognizable. Student life means Dean of Students. Pretty straightforward. But the first part holds so much more than those two words. So let's unpack or seek a deeper understanding of these letters. The woman I met who served as the first director of multicultural affairs that I knew here at HB told me quite simply that diversity means difference, period. It's not some long drawn out ideological philosophy, but rather the measurable differences between us based on our identity, such as race, class, ethnicity, religion, gender, sexuality, educational background, age, etc. You can think of diversity in terms of this question. How many, insert identity here, are present in, insert location here? So for example, how many black people work at your place of business? How many people with less than five years experience work in your organization? How many people who identify as Muslim work where you work? It's the quantifiable answer. It doesn't touch on the quality of their experience, just how many are there. This is the work that happens on an HR level, way before you can start articulating a plan to increase representation. You have to be willing to see who's in the space. So take a moment to think about this. Think about your everyday team. Perhaps that's your department, your grade level team, your mentor team. Who is the group of people you work with regularly on the day-to-day basis? Now think of numbers. Who's in the majority? Is it mostly men or women? Is it mostly cisgender people? Are they younger, middle-aged, or older? Do they all have children? What age are those children? Or is your team mostly composed of people who are child-free? Are they married? To whom? For how long? You might be surprised to notice that for many of you, you and your team may look very much alike in many ways. Perhaps, however, you are one of only or one of few. Maybe it's more complex. You share some identifiers, but not all. Come hiring season, those missing voices could become your hiring priority. With this definition, I am reminded of a quote from James Baldwin. If I love you, I have to make you conscious of things you don't see. So often, many of us can see the lack of diversity, but we really don't want to name it in all of its detail but this is the first step. Next up is equity. Equity entails the redistribution of resources to ensure everyone has access to the same opportunities. Equity is not equality. So there's this great graphic of three people standing at a wooden privacy fence trying to look over the fence to watch a baseball game. One person can easily see over the fence. One person shorter than the first can barely see over the fence. The final person is so short that they can't see over the fence at all. Equality would say, give everyone a step stool. With equality, the person who doesn't need a step stool gets a step stool because everybody gets a step stool. That's just dumb. They don't need a step stool and they can see just fine. Equality can sometimes be a waste of resources. Equity, however, says to give people what they need to accomplish a task successfully. Give the shorter person a step stool, give the shortest person two step stools. However, equity also assumes that you've answered other questions. Can you even see that they have different needs because they are different people? Are they comfortable enough to say what they need, especially if you can't see it? Have we created a diverse environment that we value for its diversity and where people can speak up and be listened to? 
equity demands that we go beyond the performative work of DEIB to centering the actions of these terms. It also reminds us that this work is not zero sum. No one is taking away your right to see over the fence and giving someone else a step stool or two. Let's move on to inclusion and belonging. As a faculty, we read Debbie Irving's book, Waking Up White. On page 228, she says, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Inclusion is the act of fostering a sense of belonging by celebrating, centering, and amplifying the perspectives, voices, values, and needs of every member of the community. However, some would seek to a deeper definition that pulls belonging out of that and actually centers it as a separate action beyond simply bringing people in as inclusion would suggest. So here at HB, there's a definition that I heard recently in a meeting that I was in that was absolutely beautiful. So I wanna share it with you in its entirety. To quote, while inclusion and belonging sound similar, they are in fact different. Inclusion is a choice, policies and behaviors of institutions or individuals to include or not include, but belonging is a feeling or an outcome that can be enforced by a culture that can be purposefully created through inclusive and equitable practices. It is a feeling of being seen, heard, valued, and loved for who I really am. Belonging is not fitting in, assessing the situation, measuring yourself up, editing yourself, and trying to earn acceptance. It is the opposite. When we have a sense of belonging, we bring our full selves to work or school. We can use our full brain and full attention to create, innovate, learn, connect, problem solve, and make decisions. Belonging is not just a nice feeling. It impacts performance, achievement, and retention. Belonging is directly connected to our sustainability as an institution. Belonging requires action by institution and individuals. Belonging requires compassion, vulnerability, and open communication on the part of those doing the belonging and those who are being belonged. It is our job to build an environment where compassion, vulnerability, and open communication can happen, wherein belonging will be possible." End quote. Distinguishing inclusion as a choice from belonging as an enforceable outcome gets back to that quote from Debbie Irving mentioned earlier, but I would amend it. If diversity is making sure there's lots of different people at a party, inclusion is making sure they know the logistics of the party, how to get there, what to wear, and the menu. Belonging suggests the act of co-creation, so it's less like a formal gathering and more like a potluck. Come as you are, bring a dish, bring a friend, partner, whoever you want. You are welcome here, you as you are make this a better place. The last letter I will cover is J for justice. While this isn't in my formal title, it's no less central to the work that we do in creating a celebrated community. And you may have seen this listed in the titles of others who do this work. So it seems appropriate to include its definition here as well. Justice involves dismantling barriers to opportunities so that everyone can live a full and dignified life. The goal here is achieving the beloved community, as Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. mentioned. To quote from the King Center's page, Dr. King's beloved community is a global vision in which all people can share in the wealth of the earth. In the beloved community, poverty, hunger, and homelessness will not be tolerated because international standards of human decency will not allow it. Racism and all forms of discrimination, bigotry, and prejudice will be replaced by an all-inclusive spirit of sisterhood and brotherhood and peoplehood. In the beloved community, international disputes will be resolved by peaceful conflict resolution and reconciliation of adversaries instead of military power. 
Love and trust will triumph over fear and hatred. Peace with justice will prevail over war and military conflict. There's a recognition that conflict is a national part, natural part of life. However, this idea posits that conflict can be resolved peacefully and through a mutual and determined commitment to nonviolence. I'm reminded of the work of Rosalind Wiseman in Cultures of Dignity. The idea of treating each other with the basic belief that all life deserves to be treated with dignity, even when we disagree. That idea fundamentally shifts the way we talk to each other, especially and specifically when we are upset or unconsciously fearful, and that fear is manifesting as potential violence. The idea of the beloved community or of cultures of dignity would say to sit with that discomfort and respond from a space of dignity and love. There's so many other words and phrases that are used in this work, and I encourage you to speak up and ask for definitions when you need them. I love listening to Jen Court's podcast, Third Space, recommended to me in my first year as an administrator. And I appreciate that in so many of the episodes, she will pause her guests and ask them to clarify what they mean. The work of DEIB takes a team, and it's okay if along that journey, you need to ask her some help. In the words of so many, Brene Brown, Bill Hooks, Debbie Irving, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable enough to expose our ignorance and insecurities takes courage and love. I hope like you feel that you are a little bit more in the know Anything quoted in this episode will be linked with the audio recording along with the transcript. All sound snippets and their sources will also be cited. 